This is Top Floor, episode 33. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 33. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast right up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Ira Voke, author of the book, Hospitality 2.0. Ira does a million different things, including teaching hospitality technology at San Diego State University. And you can catch up on all of that in the first half of our discussion at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 32. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with a couple of really specific, practical tips to try either in their businesses or in their lives. This is a somewhat provocative question. I don't even know if I agree with myself, but I could make the case that teaching hospitality tech in college is perhaps an exercise in futility. And the reason I say that is, I don't know that curricula can keep up with innovation. So like if you're teaching WordPerfect, which was the word processing software in the 90s, and you're still teaching that when Microsoft Word exists, what's the point, right? Even at the slow pace of the hotel business. So what I wonder is instead... Do we teach theory, strategy, and revenue management? Is it things like how supply and demand plays out in hotels? What is price elasticity? And honestly, how to do all this on an Excel spreadsheet or a calculator? Again, I'm not sure I agree with myself. But for the sake of argument, what's the counter argument to that? First of all, I would like to say that this is not the first provocative question that you've asked. (laughs) I think all of them are, and that's why I love them. I really appreciate you asking all those things because um, you really give me a run for my money here, and I love it. Um, Second, I would note that Carl Winston, the founding director of San Diego, the Payne School at the San Diego State University, told me the same thing when I um, introduced him to the concepts of my book and told him that he should teach hospitality technology at his university. (laughs) I gave him a big speech, which I will give you in a minute. A week later, he called me and said, would you teach for us, please? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is how my career at SDSU started a couple months ago. So that's a very interesting question. I actually had no idea that I would actually be asked that. Um, I didn't expect. uh, But I think it it does make sense for, for people who are not really familiar with the concepts of hospitality technology ecosystem. What I teach... And what others, and there are not very many professors or industry people who teach technology in the hospitality industry in the hotel schools. I don't teach how to use a specific piece of software, even though we're actually planning to use some uh, different examples of software to show students how it just how it looks and what it might feel like. But what I teach is how to navigate in the complex environment of the hospitality tech ecosystem. I would say that after about 10 lectures, my my students know more about hospitality technology and 
are more comfortable with navigating in that space than probably 90% of the hospitality professionals in the industry. I want them to be, first of all, I want them to understand that technology is important. And I don't think it's going to be a problem with the newer generation. They're young. They're very comfortable with that. So I, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Second, I want them to understand that this is a complex space and I want them to be comfortable in it, at least to understand the dependency, the integration dependency, the dynamics that we have, that the PMS kind of sits on top of the ecosystem and dictates everything that's happening around it because it sits on this very important element, the data, the reservation data. I want them to understand that. Not everybody understands that in the, in the industry. Now they do. I want them to understand that the vendors that have to scale their solutions that are non-PMS vendors are dependent on the integrations with the PMS systems and they can't scale, they can't sell until they build their integration with that certain PMS and they have to one by one integrate with tons of them. I want them to understand that if a PMS system makes it hard to integrate with them, these guys can't sell and the technology adoption rates are not going to increase. So now we have this limiting element of the PMS systems that are making it impossible, making it very hard or expensive to integrate for others. Now we're seeing this trend of new modern uh, PMS systems that are making it very easy for others to connect to them. And this trend is going to continue. And that's why these modern ones are going to eventually disrupt and replace. So I want them to understand these dynamics. So when they graduate and when they become the future leaders in the hospitality industry, I want them to understand the situation that they're dealing with so they can make correct decisions um, in terms of technology adoption for their hotels, for their properties, for their organizations that they work in. And another very interesting aspect that I discussed yesterday with Carl and the CEO of uh, CloudBeds, founder and CEO who gave a, a guest lecture. There is this huge path, a huge opportunity for a career path for the students that they never considered before. Hospitality technology. There is thousands of companies out there, hospitality tech companies that are desperate for talent uh, for people who have industry knowledge and understanding and industry experience. And at the Payne School at SDSU, students are required to have industry experience a certain amount of hours by the time they graduate. There's this huge career path. They never considered it. I'm like, guys, you can have flexible hours. You can work from home for a company that's in Salt Lake City or you know San Francisco. You don't have to be at the front desk being yelled at by guests. You can do that. <laughs> what I've been doing for the last 12 years, enjoying my life, traveling the world, not even taking any vacation because I didn't have to because I, I can work from Thailand, Bali, Singapore, Mexico, and Turkey. And that's a whole new realm for that. I can wear ripped jeans to work. <laughs> that is amazing. It and makes like, a difference. Wow. So that was my big speech. And I hope you got inspired. It worked. You convinced me for sure. Yay. There is a great section in your book about forecasting accuracy. And quite frankly, if you know how I asked you about your one big idea, this is my one big idea. If I could make people only read one thing, it would be this section. Would you mind hitting a couple of the highlights of that? Yes, um, that is a big one and an important one. Um, I actually thought that it wasn't a very natural fit 
for this book because it's not necessarily, you know, it related specifically to technology, but I had to squeeze it in for people like you who are passionate about the subject because I think it's going to be a while before I publish another book on the revenue management. So the forecasting issue is a big one that we're facing right now. The whole industry is facing, including the revenue management technology systems. What happened is that in the past, we've been relying for some reason, not all of us, um, I wasn't when I built my software system. I understood that. Uh, but many of the players have been relying on consistent patterns of booking and the demand in specific markets. And this is how they built their algorithms. And this is how they built their logic of forecasting for the future by using this internal, only internal booking data of the pace, how you're pacing versus year over year. These patterns were never consistent. They seemed like they were kind of consistent, but they really weren't. Um, I clearly understood it with my team of scientists in Moscow when we were building iRates, but uh, many didn't. So many uh, algorithms are built on these assumptions of, of this consistency. What happened during COVID, everybody understood, no, they're not consistent. <laughs> so it became just so vivid for everybody that... We just can't use our own booking data to predict our future booking data because it just history doesn't repeat itself. It never really has. So now the question is, okay, how do we predict future demand and how do we forecast? The answer is that we just need to pull more data in. There is so much data that's available out there in the market that is now becoming more and more accessible for many players. And there are actually data providers and data brokers as a new category, a new player in the market that uh, the companies that are selling this data to us that we can just buy. And a lot of it is actually free. We can find a lot of it for free, but it's the data that is external outside of our own property that um, describes and explains what happens in the market, in the destination. There are gazillion different data points that we can gather and we can use AI machine learning algorithms to aggregate, analyze that data and build very, very accurate forecasting models. However, um, as you may have also read in the book, in my opinion, um, and it's a very well-informed opinion, it's not necessarily about the accuracy of our forecasts. It's about adaptability. If you can adapt to the changing market conditions, uh, which are always changing, regardless of how you forecast, you're never going to forecast accurately. If you're able to adapt, you're going to win. You're going to make money. If you're not able to adapt, regardless of how you forecast, you're not going to be successful. I agree with you completely. Of course, it has to bring up yet another controversial question for you where I try to push your buttons here on this show. And that is... Love it. So we already know that I agree wholeheartedly, but pretend for a second that I don't. How does foregoing the obsession with plus or minus 2% forecasting accuracy or whatever it is, how does that play out for the huge public companies of which our industry is comprised of many, including giant REITs who own hundreds of hotels? And their stock price is determined by earnings, the trustworthiness of projected earnings, i.e. forecasting accuracy. How does that you know, shift and focus play out for them? It's definitely a sensitive topic for me. So you're definitely 
pushing the right buttons there. Thank you again for a provocative question. Oh boy, uh, I've been trying to um, battle this for many years. It's very wrong that these, uh, the performance of these companies and the compensation of those employees who work for these companies is based on the accuracy of the forecast. Because, for example, if I predict 90% as a dorm director of revenue manager, I can 90% occupancy, I mean, I can absolutely hit 90% occupancy. <laughs> Like this is my it's under my control. Drop the rate. If you're at 70, drop the rate, get to 90. This is it. It's not doesn't explain how much money you're going to make at the end of the day or how profitable you're going to be as a company. So when it comes to these performance metrics of generating revenue and profit, those are absolutely 100% dependent on your adaptability to the changing market conditions. Uh, and you will see that if you have performed well, you will see that in the benchmarking reports against your competition, you, you would be outperforming your competitors. You would be absolutely uh, you know, doing much better if you're able to adjust your strategy to these conditions. For example, you predicted there would be a conference and conference just canceled. You were charging $400 per night during those four days of the conference. I mean, you can still keep predicting those numbers, but you can't, you have to deal with the fact that the conference is no longer coming to town. You have to adjust your strategy, jump, drop the rates. Demand is no longer there. You have to adapt. So um, if you don't adapt, you're not going to see your performance numbers, your, your ref par and your profits be, you know, in the right place. You can still uh, hit your 90% occupancy if you want, you know, you can probably, uh, you know, do wonders with that or whatever predictions you had there. But uh, you have to adapt accordingly to the changes in the demand and the uh, expectations of the travelers and their price elasticity, price expectations in order to make money. So if your goal as a company is to hit your uh, occupancy target or ADR target, and if it's more important than actually making money, by all means, keep hitting your targets. <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> I love that. Oh, <laughs> one of the biggest obstacles to cloud-based data collection and analysis in our industry is the lack of data standardization. I know you have some ideas for how to fix that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, uh, a big problem in the industry right now. And uh, the standardization is a problem um, kind of in both, in two different areas. When it comes to API connection, the data flow between different systems, and also when it comes to data itself. One example is like the most vivid example is how we call our segments. Um, how we split our segments and what we call them. It's a free text field for every, not even hotel company, for every hotel. Every hotel calls their segments whatever they want. And it's a free text field. So there's just no way for us to compare between the two properties, what our segments are, are named. So because technology is becoming so much more important for us in our lives, in our organizations, in our operations, and we know that technology can only function if data is available. It just won't be able to use their gut, you know, gut feeling like we do. <laughs> uh, it needs data to, to, we need to feed it with data in order for it to function. In order for that to happen, data needs to be standardized. And it's not right now, as we know. 
so there have been attempts to do some standardization, and we have the USALE as uh, one a great example of the standards, at least when it comes to how we pay our taxes, right, and what we call the revenue. Um, so that's a great start, but there's so many gaps still of the in the industry of the data, um, and the aspects and the types of data. They're just they're just all over the place. So either we have an organization that decides to take on this large endeavor, which is very difficult and then very complex, um, or what I think will happen, what is likely to happen naturally, we're going to see more and more BI solutions that are going to have, and BI, by BI, I mean business intelligence solutions that are going to have artificial intelligence algorithms, machine learning algorithms that will be able to analyze, like you hook it up to, let's say, thousand properties, and it would analyze the description of, for example, description of your room types and say, okay, this one seems like this one and maybe like that one and group them in maybe one category and do maybe top five categories or top 10 so then it's able to at least compare and benchmark against uh, you know, these different properties in this umbrella in the group. We can do the same with, with our segments, for example. It might look and say, okay, based on what I'm seeing, these guys in this segment are booking mostly through Expedia. And these guys in the segment that is called has absolutely different name are also booking through Expedia. So let's call it an OTA segment, for example. I'm just, you know, using mm -hmm. simplified examples, but this is how AI actually can help us with data standardization instead of expecting for someone to just volunteer and say, let me just make this a uh, whole purpose of my life until I die <laughs> and it might never happen. I thought you wanted to be the patron saint of data standardization. What? <laughs> <laughs> I am a big fan of AI. I don't like routine boring tasks. I like machines to take over my routine boring tasks. So I definitely think that the future is in AI and machine learning and uh, BI solutions to help us solve for that. What a wonderful coincidence. Today's episode is sponsored by Zucchetti Group, a company that our guest, Ira Vogue, mentions in her book, Hospitality 2.0. In North America, Zucchetti offers a fully integrated suite of tools for independent hotels and groups, including vertical booking and all-in-one reservation solution with booking engine, channel manager, and GDS connectivity, and logical solution, a comprehensive property management system. To learn more and grab the new white paper, Mythbusters COVID Recovery Edition, Visit ZucchettiNorthAmerica.com forward slash Mythbusters or click the link in the show notes from today's episode. Now back to the show. Well, we've arrived at the part of the show where we do some magic, Ira. We're going to wave our magic wands. We're going to look into our crystal balls, predict the future. I'm going to record it and then play it back to you in five years and see if you're right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so if we could wave our magic wands and stop looking at RevPAR exclusively or top line, instead focus on bottom line profit, how do you think that plays out relative to cost containment and expense. And for our listener that has fallen asleep, I'm about to talk about booze. So wake back up. 
How do we measure if, for example, a department is overstaffed for the amount of business that's in-house or... I don't know, large quantities of gin are walking out the door every month. Like how, how do you see that story in the numbers if the focus is on the bottom line versus the top line? Sure. So a focus on the bottom line doesn't mean we ignore all other metrics. We absolutely keep track of all our uh, other KPIs that we have been looking uh, at, including RevPAR. It's still a very le- relevant metric. It's not going anywhere. Definitely. Uh, the focus on Bottom line profit just means that that's what you are using as a target for your maximization. That's what you're maximizing. And this is what you use in the formulas of BI and RMS algorithms as the target for maximization, which is not happening at this point. Zero RMS technology solutions actually do that right now. And in addition to that, RMS technology solutions, some of them are already doing that, but not all need to start incorporating the cost structure and the additional revenue uh, revenue streams into their decision-making as well to provide this full picture uh, of how a hospitality organization needs to function in order to uh, drive profit. And the profit is driven through increasing revenues and decreasing costs, right? So you would see a full picture of these are your all revenues, not just your room department. This is your F&B. This is your spa, golf, parking, and everything else, how you generate uh, revenues in, at your property. So you can see clearly what those numbers are over time, how they're trending, your pace, how it's generated, how it's uh, you know related to per customer or per room, whatever, however you want to break it down. Uh, And then these are your costs. These are your fixed costs. These are your variable costs, variable costs you have control of, the largest by far being distribution costs. Nobody knows how to measure that at this point in the industry. I suggested a way how to measure that in my book. If you want to know the answer, read my book, (laughs) Uh, the data chapter of it. Uh, I think it's a genius way to measure it, actually. So... There needs to be a technology solution that would allow to paint this full picture of your full revenue and cost structure to allow you to maximize your bottom line at the end. But you are seeing, you're seeing everything and you're seeing the numbers. And then when you do see this full picture, which again, nobody is able to really offer at this point yet, and intelligently suggest strategies that would optimize your operations from the standpoint of uh, pr- profit structure, we need to see a solution that would allow you to do all this. Uh, and I think that the revenue management systems of the future are going to absolutely offer that to their customers. Excellent. Well, speaking of strategies, you quote Amanda Bellarmino from the University of Las Vegas as saying, machine learning does a much better job with forecasting. And she's referring to much better job than people do. Mm-hmm. I So couldn't agree more. And I truly believe that that's the future of hotel forecasting. What do you think is going to happen to revenue management professionals as sort of as we understand it now, if that prediction comes true? How will those folks spend their time? Love this question. Absolutely. And I have seen this in my... Using my own example, um, I have felt this myself because I was a revenue management expert for probably 16 or 17 years. And I saw 
how my role transformed. In the beginning of my revenue management career, before I kind of got into the technology, my main environment was an Excel spreadsheet. And my main job was to pull reports, aggregate data, and do number crunching and come up using my instincts and hopefully an informed you know, decision-making process through that data with some solution and some decisions of the strategy and the pricing and the channels and state restrictions, and then distribute those numbers and those reports to the necessary stakeholders. So that was my environment. That was what I was doing. It was horribly boring. I was ex- extremely efficient and I made tons of money for my customers, but it was not everybody could do that job. Now, later, when technology was involved, when we built the first, uh, when I built with my business partner our revenue management system and we started using it, experimenting on the properties that I was managing, we saw a 30% year-over-year year, year year par increase pretty much immediately as soon as they started using it because it was the first RMS using machine learning algorithms, the first in the history of the hospitality industry. Uh, and I'm being very modest saying that, but it's a fact. Actually, we built the first ML-based <laughs> algorithm in the revenue management discipline. Congratulations. Team, thank you. Uh, with a team of Russian former rocket scientists, I kid you not, like literally former rocket scientists in Moscow, all PhD professors and a very talented team. Going back to my story about the evolution of the role of humans, after we started using this technology, what happened is that All the routine, boring tasks that I was performing manually, the system started doing for me. So the system was doing all the number crunching, all the report aggregations, and all the decision-making, essentially, in terms of that, what, how to price and how to uh, restrict certain channels or open channels or restrict uh, limited or length of stay and whatnot, stay restrictions. So then my role gradually transformed to a more strategic role. So what I needed to do is I needed to look at these decisions that the system made and understand what to do with them to be able to communicate those decisions to the relevant stakeholders. I needed to learn how to become an extrovert because from talking to Excel spreadsheet all day long, which I was pretty (laughs) happy with, I'm naturally a geek, a nerd, an introvert myself, but I had to learn to actually had to talk to to people and uh, to communicate these decisions to them and to get these different departments involved, uh, sales, marketing, operations, finance, and everybody else to be on the same page in order to drive the bottom line as a result of what we're seeing um, you know, what the machines generated for us. So my role transformed to a higher level strategic role. Uh, what we're now seeing a lot in the industry is that former revenue managers are growing into chief commercial officer roles. Those are the people in the C-level, executive level uh, levels of the organizations, the only people who know what's going on really because they're the only numbers people. Because they see the numbers and they can communicate those things to other departments to make sure that everybody is synchronized and all departments are no longer working in silos and they're working together towards the same goal, that being profit optimization. Ira, what is next for you and what's next for your company? I don't know where I'll be a month from now. (laughs) My life changes every few months. Honestly, I change I change directions and I come up with crazy ideas every few months and I live three lives within one year. 
I suspect that my next move will be probably building an online educational course. I think that's my next big project. I'm also writing a book that is titled The Art and Science of Happiness. Very interesting. Well, we'll have to come back and talk about that. And uh, maybe I can ask you some less complicated questions. <laughs> no, I'm sure yours or your questions are always going to be complicated <laughs> and provocative. And that's why I really enjoyed it. But the book is not going to be related to the hospitality industry. Excellent. Okay, folks, before we tell Ira goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Ira, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock? Oh, there is, I have a good one. It's a story about uh, me going on a business trip. I had a client in Mexico, a resort. They hired me to consult them to help them build their tax stack. So I was heading to Mexico. And um, the culmination of that story is when I found myself breaking into somebody's house in Mexico in the middle of the night, climbing on the second floor balcony, standing on top on the shoulders of my friend, who is also a published author, a, a pretty famous speaker and a businessman who was standing in a trash can. Why did you do that? So how it really went is, and I was praying that the police didn't see us and that it wouldn't end up on uh, YouTube or LinkedIn the next day. I bet. (laughs) So we, uh, the people who hired me were actually uh, my friends and we were supposed to stay at their house. And the next morning we would go to to the resort and try to figure out their technology. And the house, it's a three-story house um, in a, community in Rosarito, Mexico. So we took our time and we drove. Rosarito is about an hour away from San Diego. We drove through the border and we got there around 10 p.m. So they had already fallen asleep with their phones off. What happened is that they forgot to give us the code for their door. (laughs) (laughs) They assumed that we would somehow know the code. We did not. We tried (laughs) calling and yelling um, and knocking nothing happened so it was between sleeping on the streets of mexico or breaking into their house in the middle of the night so were you successful in breaking in absolutely i'm a good climber so we found a (laughs) trash can we flipped it so it wouldn't you know it wouldn't fall he stood up on the trash can i stood up on his shoulders pulled up on the um on the railings of the balcony of their second floor it's a pretty tall building it was a high second floor I climbed over. Thankfully, their balcony door was open. Oh, <laughs> so I let God. him in. And in the morning, they woke up and like, oh, hi, guys. How are you? I'm like, do you want to tell us anything? Do you want to ask us any questions how we got into your house yesterday? What did they say when they found out you had to break in? They were like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but, uh, well, they said, good job, Ira. Good climber. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Irevoke, a woman of many talents, thank you so much for being here. I know that this was really thought-provoking for our listeners, and I appreciate you riding up to the top four. 
Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. I really loved talking to you and thanks a lot for all the provocative questions. And let's disrupt the industry. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes from today's episode at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 33. And if you missed part one with Irrevoke, you can find that at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 32. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com.